Tito's and Shiner Gonna be an all-nighter And I just might find her At the Whataburger line Dance halls and women But man, I'm wishing That I was fishing by the river tonight In Texas Howdy, howdy, howdy Howdy, 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 everybody Welcome back to yet another episode of my favorite podcast Tex-ish, the show about some things Texas And some things not We have a really, really exciting show for you guys With... House member Brooks Landgraf. We'll get to that in a minute. Really excellent interview. I'm so glad that he came down and talked to us. It was it was really cool for him to give us some of his time. He was kind. He was fun. It was it was fun to watch him have fun on mm-hmm. our show. So we're gonna get to that in a second. But as always, first off, our not sponsors. Who's our not sponsor today? All right, our first non-sponsor for today's episode of Tex Ish is Cilantro. Cilantro. The lovely Chipotle-esque restaurant based right here in Austin, Texas. Are they based here? They are based here. They started here. I don't think they have locations anywhere else, Mm. but they are delicious. They are yummy. They also once told me that I have the most expensive bowl that they've ever seen. And to this day, I only order it through favor so that they don't have to see my face again. Do you ever feel judged? I feel so judged. <laughs> and what sucks is I made that bowl. I, I used to live right next to a cilantro. Right. So I figured out what the best bowl for me was. It just happened to have extra beef, extra pork, avocado, egg. Right. But it's delicious. And no one ever said anything. And then one guy just looked me in deadpan and said, this is the most expensive bowl I've ever seen. And I haven't set foot in a cilantro. But you, still, but you still support it. I still support it. <laughs> I, I favor it all the time. It's so Not all the time, right? because it's too yeah, expensive. Yeah, it's too expensive but. <laughs> I really only eat it after I've gone on a really long run. or you don't, you don't have to say if you're uncomfortable. How much is your bowl? I th- what sucks is I think it's only 18 bucks. Oh, no, it's that, not like a $30 okay, yeah, dollar it's not bowl. Like, yeah, dude. I guess just in comparison to 12 Right. But even still, I only get it one six times a year, probably, sure. just because that one guy told me it's the most expensive bowl he's ever seen. Cilantro. Cilantro, where they <laughs> judge you if you ask for triple protein. Today's other not sponsor is Takeover Boots. They're going to take over your closet. Take over your boots. Take over your boots. Take over your feet. Take over boots. They are based in Texas. They are a boot brand. I think they're based in Texas. I probably should have looked that up. They're a boot brand. They they are bringing cowboy style to you at affordable prices, covering those feet in fine leather and alternate leather, making everybody look a little bit better. And by affordable, we mean affordable if you live in the city. Right. I mean, like, okay, th- let's be clear. Takeover is... Uh, are I, you saying it, Takeover, as a joke? I saw, okay, partially. Here's the okay. thing. I watched a, not sponsored by Takeover, I watched a commercial. Okay. There, there was a commercial, and that's how they said it. Oh, I've been calling. By the way, I've been calling it Takeover. That's how I say it. I've been right? saying Takeover. Takeover, yeah. That so Takeover Takeover. Like I've been I've been throwing the accent all over the place. 
Take a boots. Take a boots. They gonna. We are not sponsored. We are definitely not sponsored by <laughs> by Tacovas. I feel like Tacova sounds a lot like uh, Tacoma or like uh, or Takeova. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. Yeah, never do I feel more manly than when I put on my Tacova boots and yeah. zip them up and zip them up on the Just side. Zip. At least they're nice enough to put the zip on the inside. Yeah, because so if it was on the, on the outside, outside can't see naked, it. exposed. I remember, uh, so our, yeah, I was talking to dad about, oh yeah, they, they've got like the ropers, you know, the shorter ones. And he's like, what are you talking about? Roping boots are tall. <laughs> <laughs> Tacoma boots. Tacoma we boots. lie about what kind of boots they are. Definitely not sponsored. <laughs> Definitely not sponsored. All right. Once they also upon sell a, hats. <laughs> they, uh, they also sell shirts. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we came in hot today, guys. We came in hot. Once upon a time in Texas history, a young couple met, and that's about where the romance both starts but also becomes very, very brutal. On January 5th, 1930, on 105 Herbert Street in the neighborhood of West Dallas, Texas, Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker met for the first time. And after that, it was a two-year killing, robbing, pillaging spree. Until they were finally gunned down by an army of police and former Texas Rangers in Louisiana. But before all that happened, on January 5th in 1930, in Texas, the two lovebirds met. Is that what Natural Born Killers is based off of? I honestly have no idea. (laughs) It's what a lot of things are based off of. Yeah. That's, it is kind of interesting to... It's a tale as old as time. Two serial killers (laughs) meet... Fall in at love, a young age, buy a giant freezer, begin shooting people. Oh God! <laughs> it is. It really is unfortunate that they have been romanticized by right. tons of movies, plays, songs, yeah, pop I mean, culture. And I didn't even realize this until I actually was at the Ronald Reagan. Uh, presidential library in California a couple weeks ago and there was an FBI exhibit there and Bonnie there was a Bonnie and Clyde piece to it and the real car that they got shot in was there and it actually took seeing that to remember through all of the romanticism of their life that these were murderers yeah these were bad people these people were responsible for many deaths yes so they are terrible people but they did meet in Texas on January 5th, 1930. Congratulations. Do you want to know what our small town is of the week? I'm afraid to ask. I promise I'm going a way different direction with okay, this Okay, cool. Yeah, what's our small town of the week? Our small town of the week is Eden, Texas. Oh, yeah, Eden. Population 2,766 as of the 2010 census. Guess where over 50% of the population lives. Uh, where? The Eden Detention Center. <laughs> I guess I'm not going in a different direction with this. So like a thousand people. So a thousand people mm. live, right. air quotes, air quotes, in the Eden Detention Center, which is right on the highway that drives yeah, you drive through, through yeah. Eden. You stop at a stoplight. There's the detention center. Eden, Texas, where you can get your fill of venison jerky and uh, wave hi to some felons. So if you're ever driving through Eden, do us a favor. Don't pick up hitchhikers. No. 
A little bit of background. The earliest settlers were the family of Harvey and Louisa McCarty. Frederick Ede and his family moved to the area around 1881. Mm-hmm. In 1882, Ede donated 40 acres of land to be used as a town site and to build a town square. The following year, a post office, that's how you actually establish a town, was established and was named Eden, an ad- adaptation of Frank Ede's name. And then the school was established in 1885. And then Eden was incorporated on February 4th, 1911. That same year, the Gulf, Colorado, and Santa Fe Railway completed a 98-mile line between Eden and Lometa, located east of Eden. East of Eden. Hey, hey. But Eden, Texas, you are small town of the week, you and your detention center, and all of your lovely inmates. It's a great prison. We should go visit sometime. Say hi. (laughs) <laughs> Drop off some jerky. Do you think they do get jerky when people visit? I bet they do. I wonder if they're offended by that. I doubt they'll hear this. But I just if but I was an like, inmate and I knew that the venison store was across the street, right? And mom and dad came and said, "We got you jerky," and you were like, "Oh, you stopped across the street right I feel before like you came be, in." I feel like your first thought would be like, "Thanks for visiting me." <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Did you mule the drugs? <laughs> Who's our badass? Bend over. <laughs> our badass of the week, I am actually kind of excited about this one. Um, you know, whenever I'm around you, I always think about baseball. Oh, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, I do. Uh, our, our badass of the week, Andrew Rube Foster. Ooh. He was born September 17th, 1879. And he was a very influential African-American baseball player. Okay. So his biggest claim to fame is establishing the Negro National League, which is the first long-lasting league for African-American ballplayers. He's known as the father of black baseball. Okay. He played for like a million different teams. It okay. was widely considered to be one of the best pitchers to ever live. Okay. Um, obviously, he combated tons of racial segregation. And you'll remember like there are there have been tons of movies made and books written about that particular divide mm-hmm. and just how wrong it was. But oh, also yeah. the amazing men and women who had to help bridge that and mm-hmm. break that barrier down. And Rube was one of the biggest personalities and the biggest people in that effort he really combated that segregation uh by founding that particular league and showing the world Mm -hmm. that it was ridiculous to keep anybody out of a game that they loved and were good at uh he ended up doing uh let's see he joined an all-black club in waco before joining the chicago union giants and then later the Philadelphia Giants. Throughout his career, he was guarded as one of the greatest pitchers baseball had ever seen. Wow. As his pitching career started to wane, he did what a lot of baseball players do and transitioned into leadership role. Started coaching. Uh, he had a brief stint with the Leland Giants and then formed his own team. Uh, everybody in the industry really was like, oh, my God, this is a great team. You're a great yeah. coach. Uh, and it was one of the things that brought a lot of attention to that part of the sport. After the Chicago race riots of 1919, he organized a meeting between all of the coaches in the black baseball circuit and suggested they form their own league, similar to the MLB, called the Negro National League. A.K.A. the Negro Leagues. Yeah. Uh, and shortly thereafter, they just started matching up those teams with, uh, with white teams. Yeah. And just beating the tar out of them. <laughs> Obviously. Poetic justice. Poetic justice, Absolutely. 
(laughs) (laughs) He was uh, inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, obviously. And uh, I'm trying to find this quote really quick. So executive director of the Josh Gibson Foundation says, Jackie Robinson is a true hero and icon, but without the efforts of Rube Foster in the establishment of the Negro Leagues and raising the black ball players to gain the respect of white players and owners, he may have had to wait much longer to see the baseball fully integrated. So without Rube, we don't have Jackie. Exactly. He was born in Texas. I love that. That I want to find his museum. Where is his museum? Where is his museum, right? Rube Foster. Rube Foster, everybody. A influential ball player, a great person, uh, gave back to the sport he loves so much and helped break down barriers. A catalyst for actual change. A catalyst for actual change and helped bring the world together. And those are the people I love highlighting these things. It re- I love that you highlight those people. It's I try. beginning to show such a stark difference mm-hmm. between oh. <laughs> your definition of a badass and mine. <laughs> I think it's just the way I Google it. But you all, you always find these people that I'm entranced by, that I want to read a book about, that I want to make a movie about. Right. And then I come in with Stinky Steve and... I, st- I still get comments on Stinky Steve. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Stone Cold Steve Austin bridges many gaps. But you not, shut your mouth. Not in the way, not as near That's as fair. important as Rube Foster's. So. Well, I just, I just felt like going into an interview... Uh, about like a little bit about politics, a little bit about how legislator works and like where it's gone. It's nice to like bring in some like social change as well. I like that. Yeah. So Rube Rube Foster, Foster, you are far and beyond our badass of the week. And yeah, with that, that was a great segue. We have Brooks Langrath, Texas House member representing Winkler yeah. County, Ector County, Andrews County. Our county. Our county, our home county. So he represents our home. He represents the people mm-hmm. that we come from. And this is a really fun interview. It really is. And we, we get to talk about where he was raised. Gets to talk um, about his family ranch. Exactly. Gets to talk about the history of that. We get to talk about his journey into... Politics, and I really have to say, he did such a good job educating us just in general on how the Texas legislature mm-hmm. works. Was very kind to share where he comes from, to share about the people he represents, and I think that anyone who's ever wondered just in general how the Texas yeah. legislature works can give this a listen, learn a lot. The thing I really want to highlight was when we're we were done unprompted he shook our hands said hey this was great love what Mm -hmm. you guys are doing but then he said if you want to have a democrat yes house legislature member on give me a call i'd love to send you a list like i just love that he i love that he offered he offered a different perspective to bring on to our show and i hope that that's something that he can help uh spread you know just i hope having talked to him i know that's something he does and I, I want to highlight that across the board where I, where we see it is the ability to be inclusive and try and bring in other perspectives because I think that one of the things that makes Texas so beautiful is all of the different all of the different perspectives and the respect for those perspectives and the respect ex- I, I as think well. we're recording this podcast on a yeah. day where Texas has passed 
some legislature that we'll talk about in another full episode. And they did it in a way that I think a lot of people are not too stoked about. But I want to highlight that that Brooks, the person Brooks, the legislative member, absolutely represents his people well and respects the perspectives of the people that he both agrees with and doesn't agree with. And exactly, I think that just shows that we can we can see headlines, we can see right collective but, groups do something, but that doesn't. But until you sit down and talk to somebody, exactly. you really don't know what's going on. And I am. Just so grateful for Brooks for sitting down and talking to us man to man. Oh, yeah. And we had a great conversation. So without further ado, it's a really good one, guys. Here's Brooks Landgraf. With the wonderful and very kind and genuine Brooks Landgraf. He is a Texas State representative representing Winkler County, Hector County, Andrews County. Am I missing one? And Ward County. And Ward County. What, what? All the W's. And he is so gracious to give us a bit of his time today. There's a lot of stuff going on here in Texas as far as politics go and special sessions, but he's been very gracious with his time. So we are super excited to have him on and share a bit of his story with you guys. So, Brooks, thank you so much for thank doing this so with much, us Brooks. today. We really appreciate it. Hey, you guys, Gunner, Seth, I, I really appreciate the invitation to be here. Uh, looking forward to it. I'm a, I'm a fan of the podcast. I, I consider myself to be a Texas state representative <laughs> now. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this. Awesome. We're super excited. We, we might get into the politics side of things in a little bit, but there's way more to you than just your your role today, your job today. Your family, from what I've read about, and you can fill us in now, five-generation ranch family here in Texas, correct? Yeah, five generations in West Texas. Actually, we probably go back a little bit uh, uh, a little bit uh, deeper than that on, on being in Texas and being in the, in the ranching business. In fact, uh, when I was listening to y'all talk about Dublin Dr. Peppers a little bit yeah. earlier, my great-grandfather uh, and great-grandmother actually came from that part of uh, of, of a ranching family in Texas and around Comanche County. And around the turn of the 19th century going into the 20th century, they homesteaded out in the Big Bend area oh, in, wow. in West Texas. Yeah. And so that's how our family ended up uh, in West Texas. And so um, my wife uh, and I have a six-year-old daughter, and she is the, the fifth generation in that same and uh, also the cutest thing. member yeah, yeah, in the Landgraf line. Well, I agree, agree 100%. Yeah, <laughs> no, she absolutely Heck is. yeah. And what... I just even from my knowledge, what does the ranching business even mean? Growing up in West Texas, our dad was not in the ranching business, so we're dumb and don't even know what (laughs) all that entails. So, what is sort of the origins of your family's ranching business, and what what is the operation like today? Yeah, well, you know, so the way that that cattle ranching and actually um, for a long time, uh, sheep like wool and mohair were very predominant Mm -hmm. in in West Texas, and. So, I mean, it's, you know, on some levels, it's a very simple business. You, you raise cattle, uh, you ship them, and then they, they go to market. Uh, but there are so many complicating factors within, you know, within that basic scenario. But, uh, you know, what I love about the industry and it's kind of what I love about being a Texan is like you're connected to the land. And it's mm-hmm. also a way to connect, uh, you know, different generations of the same family. So it's like, uh, you know, I, I think about that a lot when I'm actually working cattle, which we still do. 
uh, you know, I'm working the same type of cattle in the exact same place that my great grandfather was, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, there's something I think to be said for that, but, uh, you know, it's also West Texas, particularly in the Chihuahuan desert is a very mm-hmm. difficult place to do that. And, mm-hmm. and we live and die with, with the weather, with, with rain in yeah. particular. And, uh, so when it rains, we, we can make it work. Um, and when it doesn't rain, it's it's almost impossible to make it work. That's one reason why I eventually went to law school was because uh, <laughs> uh, I knew that I couldn't make a reliable right. living ra- uh, raising cattle in in the Chihuahuan Desert of West Texas. So, um, but anyway, to me, it's fascinating. And the reason why it started out in that part of uh, of the state is there really wasn't anything else that could be done in a productive way mm-hmm. with that land. I mean, you, you couldn't farm anything. Mm-hmm. You couldn't raise crops. Yeah, because like, the soil's so loose. Right, right because it, yeah. it, it, so the soil's loose. It's it's much uh, rockier there than it yeah. is even in Andrews County. Yeah. Uh, and then um, and then also just the unreliable rain. Nature so, of it. Yeah. yeah. I, that, I was wondering, because that, that is such a harsh environment. Mm-hmm. What did your family, your your great grandfather, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Did they get out there and just think we'll stop here and see if this works? Like, do you know sort of the the, the origin of blew out and what like, made this? this? So it was literally a wagon. Like, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, yes, uh, uh, literally a covered wagon, and they actually. So my great grandfather was a guy named Joe Montgomery, and he was the. I think 13th out of 17 children. Dear Lord. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, Not to sound offensive, Irish Catholic? Actually, uh, no. So I'm I'm Catholic, but mm-hmm. this is on my mother's side of the family, and they are not Catholic. So, wow. uh, But with 17 children, it's a safe <laughs> right. assumption to make. I think it's more of like yeah. an insurance policy it's, back well, in the well, days, right? Well, actually it was. And so, uh, because, and, and so they were a ranching family there in Comanche mm-hmm. County. And yeah, you just—it was a labor force, a built-in yeah. labor force. And in ranching, there was always a high demand for that for that type of uh, uh, that, that type of work. Now, the problem is, is that you know you have a fixed area of land to ranch, and eventually, um, you know, when you get to the tenth, eleventh, twelfth kid, uh, you know, up the totem pole, you start running out of. Um, options <laughs> and, and also start uh, stop right. running or start running out of of land that they can then mm-hmm. take on take on yeah, uh, yeah. when they when they become grown. So my great grandfather uh, really had no choice but to get in a covered wagon and, <laughs> and go. And at that time, um, it's kind of it was kind of a fascinating period in Texas history uh, because this was uh, in. Uh, this has all sorts of implications, and, and you know, not not condoning the the policy, uh, but. This was a period in time in Texas where, um, you know, the the United States government had just finished waging its war against the Comanches, mm-hmm. and the area where, uh, you know, so much of the uninhabited parts, uninhabited by white people, mm-hmm. uh, parts of West Texas, um, you know, this, it was in the interest of the state government and the federal government, for that matter, for those areas to be settled, and and so. Uh, there was a process. It was basically a homestead act where, mm-hmm. if uh, if a person uh, basically squatted on a particular tract of land for, yeah. um, I think it was for 365 continuous days, <laughs> then the state would give you title yeah. to that. And so that's how people who, uh, and again, uh, I don't want to. I'm not trying to gloss over the, of the origins not. of that uh, policy because there, that's a, there's right. certainly an important discussion to be had there. Um, but that is how a lot of that part of the state was was settled. So because it obviously wasn't the most uh, attractive, you know, attractive right, option, you know, there wasn't a, there wasn't yeah. very much. There was actually 
no surface water. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, you almost had to kind of give it away, but yeah, it was given away to those who were demonstrating a willingness to, right. to make something up. And I'm sure so. after a year when in D.C. they got letters or in the text in Austin they got letters, they were more like, oh, they survived. Oh, yeah, wow. Right. I, good job. <laughs> right, right. So, no, I mean, so it was kind of a, you know, and then my... Uh, Great grandfather recruited some of his other uh, siblings to come out, and uh, he said, "All right, you don't have to stay for the whole time, but like if you'll come help, uh, you know, establish some of these tracts, yeah. you know, then we can, you know, and I'll compensate you for that." And anyway, he so he kind of cobbled together, you know, one section at a time, and then once he got uh, a livestock operation up and going, then he was able to acquire other um, other ranches, and then was able to build it into a, a profitable uh, ranching operation. So. Mm-hmm. But you know, but that's kind of what it what it took. I mean, they yeah. you know didn't really come from anything. It was really just kind of this, right? You know, rugged determination to yeah. to make something work. So, uh, you know, I can't verify any of this, but it, like ever since I was a little boy, I was I was told that so the covered wagon, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. they actually arrived on Christmas morning, uh, not by design. It's just when they just happened to actually make it to the to the tract. Uh, and in this case, it was just south of uh, Fort Stockton, and. Uh, and they threw open the 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 wagon after they arrived, or they, I guess sorry, they arrived the night before Christmas Eve, and then woke up Christmas morning, and there was snow all oh, over the place. Wow. So I don't know how much of this has been romanticized, you know but yeah. you know, but for forty years I've been here. Yeah, well, true. also Hallmark, if you're listening, <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah, <laughs> it's an excellent story. <laughs> we yeah. claim this, Hallmark, Brooks claims time. this, yeah. Yeah. trademark it. We're gonna figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure this, this out. This is beautiful. I can yeah. see it in my head already. Christmas at the um, ranch. Yeah. You mentioned romanticizing kind mm-hmm. of these the stories that we tell, and yeah. and I I don't think it's going too far to say that this story is not uncommon among people who can trace mm-hmm. their families back in that area. Right. And I do notice a lot of romanticizing of, like, ranch work, mm-hmm. for example. Growing up, were you taken onto the ranch, shown the ropes? Like, mm-hmm. how much of that is left out? How much of the gritty, dirty, hard stuff is left out? Oh, I would say I would say most of it is. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it, it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, like, so, I mean, I, it, it was yeah. all just second nature to me. I was brought up to, and, mm-hmm. and, and I'm very grateful to my grandparents and, and my, my mother. And then even though it's not on my dad's side of the family, he, he bought into it when he joined the family. And so, you know, he, uh, he encouraged it as well. Right. But I mean, it was, it was just something that I was exposed to from, you know, for as long as I can remember. And then, so I remember getting to be a certain age at school and this is how I'm going to show that I'm, you know, a lot older than you guys. But like <laughs> when I was, um, you know, I remember like being in like fourth or fifth grade, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, back in Odessa at this point, And I, uh, you know, this was like when Garth Brooks was mm-hmm. like top of the charts. Uh, and, is he not still? Like, yeah, well, was he, he not still? He, yeah, right. <laughs> Apparently, he is. But this was, <laughs> yeah, right, right, was, yeah, this yeah. was when he was newly at the right, uh, on right. the top. He of, was you blaming know. it all on his roots. Pretty That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and so other kids would show up in boots. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> and anyway, yeah. But it was kind of like that was influenced by, you know, the kind of the Nashville side of the mm-hmm. industry, and so. But it was it didn't really reflect my reality, yeah. you know, because, you know, I, first of all, I was working with vaqueros on the ranch, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and that was never really portrayed in, in pop culture as I knew it. So it was like I saw this thing that was kind of like an imitation or like a romantic, yeah. you know, yeah. romanticization. A very clean cut version yeah. of right. but very your definitely, reality. Gunner, that's 100 percent right. And uh, but but in almost no telling of it, yeah, would you see the you know, the blood and the dirt and, mm-hmm. and the, you know, actual labor mm-hmm. that goes into yeah. that. 
and then how much of a how much of an effort that takes, you know, and and you know, I think partly because it's been a multi generational thing, uh, you know, like we're there's only so much technological innovation that you can have <laughs> sure. you know, when it comes. So I mean, like you know, um, cutting nuts on a on, yeah. a, on a young steer yeah. or on a on a young bull that becomes Making a steer. Pretty much one way to do that. It, there's pretty much one way to do that. Yeah, you know, I mean, so changed. so it, it, it hasn't yeah. changed, and so like you know, out there on the ranch, um, that's you know, like you kind of are stuck in this one period of time. Now, don't get me wrong. There are lots of technological um, innovations right. and advancements, but a lot of that, like particularly with the way that we immunize, um, mm-hmm. you know, the herds and there actually are some much more safe and sterile way to do uh, a lot of these things. But like, we still use uh, branding irons, even though my right. wife uh, has some concerns <laughs> about that, thinks that there's, there might be a better way, but, uh, but anyway, but that just goes to show you that like some of those things are, are relatively timeless right, yeah. um, and, and they're not always told in the whole story. Yeah. Right. And, and something that I've been wondering sort of kick flipping off of that, mm-hmm. not just romanticizing the ranching lifestyle mm-hmm. and what, what it means to be a rancher and a cowboy, but where the ranch is mm-hmm. is out by Alpine, right. mm-hmm. Marfa, mm-hmm. sort of this area of West Texas that is vast and beautiful and gorgeous, but has also sort of become like popular to a group of people that I don't think would ever go out there in the first <laughs> right. place. Right, yeah. And I'm sure that's good in one way because it brings tourism and money sure. into Big Ben and into the town. But what has it been like for you as somebody who grew up out there yeah. when no one knew what was out there to see people from Dallas, Houston, Austin romanticize a trip to Marfa right. or, or go to these like glamping spots that are now right. out there? Like, What has that been like for you to see that happen? So, so it's a mixed bag, to be honest with you. <laughs> but uh, let me start by saying uh, in... I'm going to get okay boomered for this one probably, but I mean, I, so I, I can remember, see her. I can see her. I, I can see. Yeah. She's got it loaded up. <laughs> I remember when, um, I, back in my day, I remember, uh, no, I mean, I remember when Marfa was just a, was just a cow town. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a, it was a railroad stop on the, on the union Pacific line and, um, and quick story. So, um, I have an uncle, Chip Love, who ranches south of of Marfa, and Chip is now famous for being, uh, he actually has his Screen Actors Guild card and everything. He was in No Country for Old Men. Okay. uh, And he actually was, so you remember uh, Shigur, the Mm -hmm. character played by Javier Bardem. Haunts me. Yes, I mean right. I mean oh, one, yeah. of the, one of the great uh, villains of cinematic yes. history, right? Oh, Particularly yeah. like in the in this in this century so far, and so of course he famously. I, but we're not going to have any spoil. I mean, it's a no, I, no, yeah, it's a 2007 no, no. movie. Spoiler but, uh, yeah, right? There's I, a book like, also. <laughs> right, just right, yeah. Get with the time. It's McCarthy. been a minute, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, go check it out um, if you haven't. But yeah. um, so. Uh, Shigur at the very beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, the first time that he uses the air gun yeah. um, on a victim is m- my uncle is is the guy. He's, he, uh, so Shigur steals a sheriff's deputy's car mm-hmm. and then pulls over yeah. this unsuspecting victim. Mm-hmm. Well, that victim was played by my uncle Chip. Oh my well god! Done, uh, and, uncle and Chip. so yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then there's a whole story behind how he got to do that. But anyway, uh, so but Chip is a, is a rancher and uh, and is actually the president of the Martha National Bank. But he uh is his family's been ranching there um on the high plains just outside of Marfa mm-hmm. um on his dad's side so this is my uh well uh anyway 
sorry, yeah, there's a family connection there's there. There's a lot but, of family. Yeah, you well, there, I can feel it. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, there yeah. is. And, and so, but he, like, the, so this is the Marfa branch of the of the of the family. But anyway, he, um, you know, he kind of laments. So, like, he laments, but Marfa used to be right. And um, but I, but I say, you know, Chip. I mean, come on, Marfa's always been a little bit of a Hollywood town. Like, <laughs> my grandmother was an extra in Giant when mm-hmm. it was filmed I was yeah. there say, nearby in nineteen fifty-five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah. great Rock Hudson, Ama- James yeah, Dean, Elizabeth Taylor. Movie. Oh, yeah, uh, holds, uh, up. yeah <laughs> holds up. Holds uh, up uh, very well. But it, but anyway, uh, but but Chip often talks about you can't get your oil changed in Marfa anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you can't get a tag for your cattle in Marfa. You yeah. can't even really get, I mean, if you want a, you know, a working person Stetson, you can't get that in Marfa. Now you can get a lot of other really nice tags, sure, yeah. but not, uh, you know, so it's, so I think he, he talks about how it's lost its functionality. Yeah. Sure. But at the same time, he enjoy you know, when he has visitors come in, mm-hmm. you know, they love going to the galleries yeah. and going to great restaurants yeah. and, and, you know, and honestly, um, the, the cattle industry is a lot like oil patch towns where, mm-hmm. where we come from, you know, uh, I've got a theory that, you know, so many towns in the oil patch, they're not, you know, big towns like Andrews and, and Odessa, but like some of the ones that were just, you know, uh, big towns. Well, big I, mean, towns. It, I mean, Andrews, <laughs> it's not know? current. Uh, no, I know. It's just, yeah. it's, exactly. Right. Well, and, and then I'm thinking of like, uh, like, uh, you know, like, uh, Rankin or yeah. uh, Wall, uh, Wall, yeah. or uh, you, you know some of these others that were not, that, like aren't the county seat either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like air conditioned pickup trucks really killed those communities because yeah. you could live in Andrews or you could live in Odessa or Midland and then just commute out to the to the work site. You didn't have to live right, right next there. to it. Yeah. yeah, you know, and so and that's kind of what what's happened to a lot of cow towns too. Right. And, and Marfa probably would have suffered that same fate if it didn't mm-hmm. reinvent itself. So you know, on the on the one hand yeah i am a little bit nostalgic for what it was but mm-hmm. i'm also thankful for what it is because it does create and provide some opportunities that otherwise wouldn't have existed in this vast desolate desert yeah, exactly. you know yeah. so and 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 i you know and I, I appreciate um you know artistic talent and things yeah. like that too and so I, I i enjoy getting to go uh you know to uh you know check out sure. donald judd's you know work at yeah. the shinati mm-hmm. foundation oh, and yeah. you know i mean so so yeah i mean i, I think it's the region is is enriched because of because of a community like Marfa, yeah. and, but but you also have to have functionality too. So right. it, so as long as those two things can can yeah. coexist, mm-hmm. um, you know, and even if it's not in the same town, as long as they can coexist in the same region, I think that's yeah. That's as long as you can positive. get a Lone Star and Alpine, that's right. You can we'll leave the cocktails okay. in that's Marfa. Right. That's I, right. I feel like that's Amen. Amen. there's your that's headline. Right. There yeah. you go. Um, so so like, yeah. you did spend a lot of time, you know, growing up in Marfa on the ranch and mm-hmm. whatnot, but you also spent a lot of time in. Odessa. Right. Uh, Go Mojo. Go Mojo, yeah. <laughs> what was it like growing up with the Friday Night Lights, the real ones? Yeah, so, um, you know, it, it it wasn't that big of a deal until um, until the movie came out mm-hmm. in 2004. Um, and so so the book, which, which, you know, I guess by most accounts put Permian High School on the map. Right. Um, you know, on a national level. Mm-hmm. Um so that covered the 1988-89 team. So I was, even an old guy like me was a little too young right. then. Uh, that was about 10 years before I graduated from high school. Um, so, I, you know, I remember vaguely hearing a, about that. And, and at the time, you know, it was very controversial uh, yeah. in, in the community because uh, uh, 
H.G. Bissinger, the author of the book, was, I mean, he really put a mirror up to the community mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, not everybody liked what they saw in the reflection. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so I, but I was too young to really appreciate the, the dynamics there. I just remembered hearing, you know, some, <laughs> of, the some of the adults yeah, in yeah. the community were, were kind of grumbling a little bit or, uh, you know, but then, I don't know, there was like this big wave of forgiveness when the movie came out, which was kind of took a different take, you know, uh, you know, it really focused on the sports story more than the socioeconomic story. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, you know, I think that's kind of created, uh, I don't know, this kind of era of, uh, tranquility and peace as far as, (laughs) as far as that goes, but no, uh, but to answer your question, I mean, like it was, you know, it's, it's kind of like growing up in any town in West Texas. You know, mm-hmm. you, you never had to wonder what you're going to do on a Friday night in no. the fall. I mean, those <laughs> plans were were already made. And, uh, you know, and, you know, I mean, like, th- there's a larger conversation to, to have about the emphasis that's placed on that. But I think the way that uh, something like that can bring a community together, mm-hmm, um, you know, especially, you know, and in 1988, when, when that story was being told, you know, um, you know, that was widely considered to be there wasn't really a future for oil and gas production anymore in the Permian Basin in Odessa. And there really wasn't a whole lot going on for the community. And that was kind of what was being clung to in a lot of ways. Um, You know, so, you know, anything like that that can help a community get through hard times, I I think is is generally positive. Um, You know, and, uh, you know, I, one other way that I like to explain it. So, I didn't play football at Permian High School, mm-hmm. even though I, I went there. Now, I did have a lot of glory on the gridiron because I played trombone in the Permian High School. Went band. on to play for right. the A&M Corsi Cadets. That, hey that's, man, right. Best that's band, right. Best marching band in America. You <laughs> guys won't stop talking about it. We, <laughs> we always win halftime. That's you right. Aggies. Undefeated at halftime. <laughs> you know, but, but Permian, and, and this is true for a lot of the schools that have uh, really noteworthy football programs. They mm-hmm. also have really good fine arts programs too, yeah. because like if you're going to, com- well, there's there's a financial component to it. But then like if you're kind of if you're putting your best uh, foot forward as a community, like you're doing that mm-hmm. through your football team. But then also you don't want the other town's band to be better than yours, right. and so like it's kind <laughs> of like an arms race. Yeah. Uh, but that helps build up arts programs, and then like gave kids like me, you know, leadership opportunities at a mm-hmm. young age. And so, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I, I try to look at, at that holistically, but I think it, it does produce a lot of positives. And I think, and I do want to say this, you know, fast forward now, you know, more than 30 years later, I think as a community, we've learned a lot of the lessons, mm-hmm. you know, or, or I think we learned a lot of lessons in that reflection that we didn't necessarily like yeah. that we saw back in 1988, 89. And, and so I think it's uh, generally made us a better community as a yeah. result. For sure. I definitely think so. You know, it is about how you carry yourself going forward. Yeah. If you can address your mistakes in the past and mm-hmm. then try to fix them. Right. And do it again. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so played for the Mojo Marching Band. Go Mojo. One more time. <laughs> Shouts out Odessa Permian. Shout out Odessa Permian. <laughs> and then you decide to go to Texas A&M. Right. Gig the world. I mean, look, UT was right there. Like, it's, <laughs> it's closer. I don't know where you went wrong it's the there. promise. Like, hey, I, I loved blowing right past the University of Texas on my way to on okay, my way there you go yeah, that's what yeah. I want to hear I'm sure you went to Austin many times <laughs> when you're bored in College Station what do you do go to Houston <laughs> I, I may have made may a have trip to Austin made a trip here and there. Yeah. Um, looking back when I look back we grew up in Andrews mm-hmm. just a few miles down the road from Odessa mm-hmm. probably very similar experience very similar yeah. experience there, there's sort of two types of people once you get into high school there's 
the group that just wants to stay here, mm-hmm. go to college nearby, go, go to tech at the furthest, maybe, yeah, sure. but we right. really stay close to home. Hometown heroes. And then there's, well, some people, that's just, that's where they sure. want to go. And then there's a smaller group, at least in Andrews, that decides we want to go a little bit further, mm-hmm. get, get out of this town, so sure. to speak. Right. Was going to A&M sort of, a, was it a family thing? Was it a, I want to get out of West Texas? Or did you go knowing that you would eventually come back home as well? It, it was both. And I'll tell you this, I spent the first 18 years of my life trying to get the hell out of Odessa, Texas and <laughs> sure. never come back. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so when I left, um, so I, I graduated from high school in May of 99 and then worked on a survey crew that summer uh, before I went off to A&M in the fall. And mm-hmm. uh yeah, and I and I thought when I when I left, I mean, other than coming back to visit families, that'd mm-hmm. be the last time that I was ever in Odessa, and uh, and I, and I sincerely believe that at the time. So, um, and so I went to went to A and M and and certainly loved my time there and and made tremendous friendships. And then from there, I moved up to the East Coast uh, and and worked in lived and worked in Washington D.C. for a couple of years, uh, and then moved back to Texas to go to law school in San Antonio at St. Mary's. And so, you know, I, I would have definitely considered myself to be in that group that wanted to leave and never come back. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but there was something, and I guess this kind of gets back to the ranching part. It's like, you can (laughs) never really, if, if you, if you have that passion in your heart for Mm -hmm. that, you can do lots of other things in your life. But if you want that, to mm-hmm. always be a part of who you are, then, you know, you, you can't ever stray too far away from that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, so I'm, you know, I, there's obviously something to be said for getting out and seeing the world. And, and I'm glad that I've had the opportunity to do that. And, and my wife and I are, uh, my wife certainly has had that opportunity. Even her grandparents are from, uh, we're from Andrews, and so she spent her go summers Mustangs. go, go Mustangs. <laughs> I actually learned to drive a car in the Mustang Bowl mm-hmm. parking lot. There you uh, go. That's where we all went. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, but but she was a, a an army brat, and so she mm-hmm. she was born in Germany and and lived all over the world. Sure. And uh, and so, you know, I, I like to think that I've seen lots of, you know lots of the world, but she certainly has. And we want to, even though we're raising our daughter in in Odessa, we want to make sure that she's seeing, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, other parts of the world and, and even at a young age um, she's been able to do that and really seems to enjoy it so mm-hmm. uh, that that's important but uh but anyway I think the ranch was kind of what always kept me tied back to West Texas and like I remember even you know when I was living in Washington like I would just like I would ache to mm-hmm. you know be under the the Texas stars you <laughs> know at night sometimes and so um you know or to have a cold lone star you know uh <laughs> which uh, you know or a, or some bluebell ice cream mm-hmm. you know yes. which you couldn't get on the east coast back in those days but anyway i also the older i got it, you know and so it, i mean, so i was gone for uh for about 10 years and mm-hmm. but when i decided to come back and start practicing law in odessa um you know it gave me a a new appreciation for for the community and also you know, I realized that there are so many things about it mm-hmm. and so many things about West Texas and so many things about Texas that I had been taking for granted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I had and I didn't, you know, I guess this is one thing that it comes down to is like Andrews, Texas, Odessa, Texas. They're not easy places to live they're, no. and they're not easy places to make a living. Uh, you know, it takes a special kind of person. Mm-hmm. But I mean, to 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 be able to not only survive there but to thrive there and and, you know think about what those first 
settlers, uh, you know, or, or I mean, or even the first indigenous people like to scratch out a living in a place like yeah. that. I mm-hmm. mean, against all odds. It takes yeah. grit. It <laughs> takes grit, you know. And uh, and so I think that we create a culture of people out there. And, and, and look, it predates, yes. you know, it, I mean, like th- that culture um, existed in one form or fashion for as long mm-hmm. as humans have inhabited that part yeah. of of the world because you you don't have mother nature on your side mm. you don't have i mean i mean you, you, you know you're devoid of anything that was remotely usable until the discovery of <laughs> oil and gas oil and hydrocarbons gas. you know but but even with those discoveries i mean it's still just right. a, i mean the the you know if if the sun doesn't bake you the wind's going to blow you away or or you'll just be overwhelmed by mm-hmm. drought mm-hmm. and so but it, you know i i and I didn't appreciate that growing up, but as an adult going back, I, I did see, you know, it does take a special resiliency to, to make that work. And, uh, and so uh, I kind of fell in love with the place all over again um, in a way that I never had before. And, uh, you know, and, and that's why um, I'm, I'm so proud to be back and, and proud to do everything I can to be a voice for, for that type of uh, for those types of people, because um, quite frankly, they they deserve it. You know, absolutely. Definitely. I mean, there anecdotally, we've noticed that a lot of people who move away from mm-hmm. small town West Texas or Texas itself are mm-hmm. drawn back to it for mm-hmm. a multitude of reasons. Yeah. And something throughout our conversation today that I've I've noticed is we keep coming back to the ability to transform what you were into what you are. Mm-hmm. So you yourself moving away and, and, you know, you've grown up in this ranching family and you're now a politician. Did you mm-hmm. see that coming? And what was it that shifted it, if not? Yeah, that's a good question, and I've thought about that a lot because I don't like nobody in my family has mm-hmm. run for office or or sure. been in, in politics. I mean, other than just kind of having a passing interest in it, mm-hmm. um, you know. So I was trying to, and when you are in politics, people always ask you that that right. question. But no, and it's a fair <laughs> yeah, yeah, question, I, you know. And and also, you know, first time you run for office, you know, that's something that you kind of got to figure out. For, yeah, and for your listeners, I mean, like that's a question <laughs> that you're going to get, um, yeah. and you need to have a good answer because I mean like you need to be compelled by something that's bigger than yourself mm-hmm. to do this right at least in my opinion yeah and uh you know and so that's something I that's something that you need to think long and hard about like are you doing this for the right reasons like mm-hmm. and like is the true reason that you're doing this is somebody else going to buy into that because yeah. you're going to need them to buy into it if you want if you want to get elected because you're here to serve other people and um and so I don't know so I I really started to think about that. And so without having any, you know, family members who have been doing this, I do like, I can pinpoint it back to when I was nine years old mm-hmm. and, uh, Clayton Williams, who was an mm-hmm. Aggie from Midland, Aggie from Midland, who was running for governor in 1990, uh, was having a campaign event over in Midland and Clady and his family have been ranching down in the same part of the Trans-Pecos, um, that, that we have. And so there's a, there was a long family connection there. And so, my big sister and I happened to be, um, I guess because of that reason, were invited to this party uh, along with our parents. You know, it wasn't just, you know, right. these two little, just yeah, two, yeah, like a nine-year-old. <laughs> I mean, y'all were cool, a, but yeah, like. we were cool, yeah, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, unbeknownst to, to us at that party, um, like we went up to see Clayton Williams, who, uh, who you know, uh, as y'all know, passed away last year. Mm-hmm. But at that time, to a nine-year-old, I thought, I mean, this was like, you know, Mr. Texas. You yeah. know, he was, 
you know, had the, the hat on and everything. And, and he really was sort of a larger-than-life well, Yeah, character. in so many different ways. Yeah, in a lot of different ways. Particularly coming from the Permian Basin and then, yeah. kind of, and then from the ranching business in Alpine. But, I mean, you know, but he... It, he actually wasn't that tall in stature, but mm-hmm. as a, as a kid, I thought I thought that he you know I mean he he certainly seemed that way to me, and he definitely his personality was much larger than his his uh, you know than his actual physicality. <laughs> but uh, anyway, there was a photo taken of like uh, of Clady kind of bending down and like grabbing me by the ears, and then he just had this big Clayton Williams <laughs> grin on his face. And anyway, that picture like was put in all of his campaign materials and ads and things like this and so i go back to gonzalez elementary school uh you know as a third grader and think yeah you know i'm yeah. this is pretty cool like look I'm, I'm i'm friends with the next governor of texas um and of course it didn't pan out that way uh but like i i think i but once i saw and i'm sure it was just completely random that it worked out that way but i kind of took a personal interest in the campaign and actually uh, at nine years old, started studying these issues because I felt like, well, I'm going to be. People are going to ask me what Clayton Williams' positions are on. The, so I actually, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was really taking sure. myself more you, seriously. You were, than, you were a campaign advocate, right? Well, no, old. but well, I felt like I, I needed to be prepared to, right. you know. And so, uh, I mean, literally, listen. When people ask me about the issues, <laughs> yeah, I'm a little no. Nap time needs to be this much longer. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, exactly. so, but you got to be able to advocate for, no, for that. No, really, yeah. that's actually pretty cool. At nine years old, you yeah. were studying issues that most people even, you know, our age don't think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I was always kind of accused of being like a, a, a nerd in that respect. <laughs> sure. um, and I was always fascinated by, by history, and I felt mm-hmm. like this was kind of like the next mm-hmm. uh, progression of, of, of that kind of development. But, but anyway, so like if I have to pinpoint something like that's when I started getting interested in and I guess that allowed me to see at a relatively young age how that part of the world works you Mm -hmm. know where you know you have somebody who is uh you know and I think if it were just the picture it wouldn't have been that big of a deal but like I I tried to look more into it because again and as it turns out nobody really ever asked me except for for my parents and maybe a, a teacher or two yeah um, because I was like, do you want to ask me any questions? <laughs> but uh, but I think kind of looking at the whole picture um, of that, and then, of course, on election night, I was really curious about how that was going to work. And, of course, I just assumed that the, my, the candidate of, my candidate of choice was going to win. And I got to learn early on that that doesn't work out <laughs> either. So, um, so, you know, that was kind of, um, it was kind of like a crash course in politics at a young age that just fueled mm-hmm. my interest in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, I always just kind of uh, approached it as something that uh, that I was interested in. I thought it was an important part about the way that the world worked, but I never really envisioned actually being a mm-hmm. candidate or an office holder myself. Um, but um, but when I was encouraged to do so, when when uh, the opportunity came for me to run, I think that background kind of gave me the confidence to be able to answer some of those calls yeah, to, to right. step up. For sure. And was that transition into running for office, now holding office, were the voices encouraging you to do it coming from people who knew the work you were doing as a lawyer? You were doing a lot to mm-hmm. protect and conserve the oil and gas industry mm-hmm. and, and the service companies and businesses out in Odessa. What Was it that that was really making people see you as someone who could protect the people of West Texas? Just what was it? You know, I think, so I, I don't know, I think probably what really, uh, you know, was when when my predecessor announced that he wasn't going to run for re-election, and that's kind of when there's u- usually a mad dash, you know, of people to, to, fill, try, the seat, to, yeah. Yeah, to yeah. fill the seat. And I, I, so 
I think the reason why my name came up, um, and I'm really glad about this in retrospect, but you mentioned I was I was a lawyer. One of my clients then was uh, Odessa College, the mm-hmm. junior okay. college that that uh, serves. Mm-hmm. Um, Odessa has campuses yeah. in Andrews and Monahans and mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's really yep, <laughs> go Wranglers, uh, and it's really a fantastic uh, junior college. In fact, they're they're recognized for uh, like nationally for um, for their wonderful programs, and they have great leadership. Dr. Gregory Williams. Uh, but anyway, in 2011, when I was representing them as an attorney uh, and the legislature was in session and Odessa College was one of four community colleges in the state whose budgets were basically zeroed out. Um, and it was and it was and it was not because of anything that they had done wrong. It was kind of like a formula that in a freak turn of events mm-hmm. left out these four colleges and. Uh, our state representative at the time, Tryon Lewis, you know, was saying this is all hands on deck. You know, we got to we got to save the college, basically. And so I, you know, I basically just started coming down to the legislature to advocate for Odessa College and worked with Tryon Lewis and his staff and, uh, you know, really became passionate about, you know, making sure because, uh, you know, I mean, you guys are all big city now, but, you know, you remember a time when, uh you know, we kind of feel a little bit left out over on the mm-hmm. on in the western half of the state. Absolutely, you know, yeah. um, you know, if you're not kind of in the I-35 corridor, then you're kind of <laughs> forgotten, um, regardless of how much we produce for the sure. state. And so, and you know, for the world, and for the world, <laughs> um, you know, the world. It's just uh, not really a cultural yeah. touchstone. The way cars right. move right. and planes fly, right. Yeah, you know it's, it's you know it's whatever. We're, we're still happy to do it. Still, but, yeah, yeah, glad to do it. Fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. Yeah, but the like uh, appreciated mom, <laughs> West Texas, the unappreciated mom. Of, That's right. Of the world. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Um, but it, so it, you know, I kind of took it personally, and so yeah. I wanted I wanted to fight. And so, long story short, thankfully. Um, with the efforts of a lot of good people um, and, a, and a lot of hard work on, on behalf of a lot of people, um, we were able to save that funding. And Odessa College has never looked back since. I mean, in fact, has only continued to, to thrive and like mm-hmm. achieve great things. But, um, but I think just being involved with that fight, I think people saw that I was, you know, I, you know, like there wasn't any, like I wasn't getting paid for that. Yeah, right. It was just something that was, was kind of, it was like a personal thing for me. Yeah. And so, um, and and I certainly wasn't doing that to feed any political ambition because I did, honestly didn't even know that this seat would become open. But I think that's that's one thing that you know when the time came, people were like, "Well, what about that land graph kid?" Right. We you remember yeah. you did this and that. Right. That's kind of what mm-hmm. we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So you run, you get elected. Mm-hmm. You are now our representative. Mm-hmm. Feel like you second to. term uh, right now, right? Actually, I'm so uh, for the uh, I'm in my fourth term, but we only but are we serve two year terms. Sure, got it. Yeah. Okay, so see, we don't know anything. No, no we're very no, good. No, so good. Which leads into my next question <laughs> because we don't know anything. What would surprise the average citizen about what you actually do day yeah. to day? Like, yeah. what is what is the job? How do like how do these things get brought up? Like, what what what? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. What no, you, no. Those, those yeah, are good yeah. questions. How does it work? How does, how does it, work? it work? Well, all right. So how it works and what people are surprised <laughs> by are two different things. That's true. Uh, so a couple of fun facts. Um, people are surprised that I don't really get paid to do this. I right. think a lot of people just presume all oh, politicians, you know, kind of living high on the hog, fat and happy, right. you know, just making a living off. We can confirm Brooks is not fat. <laughs> it's true. He's happy, but we can confirm he is not gluttonous nor fat. 
can confirm. Can confirm. Well, all right. Thank you, guys. I have to yeah, pay yeah, extra yeah, for yeah. that. Right? <laughs> um, so he's also very tall and handsome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yes. And, I, and yeah. we'll never be able to prove that on a podcast. <laughs> so thank you. I appreciate that or disprove that. Anyway. Yes. Exactly. Uh, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's we actually do get paid. The Texas sure. Constitution allows us to earn seventy two hundred dollars a year uh, for this, and and honestly, the so obviously not a living wage, um, but I I do. That's kind of the point, right? That is kind of the point, and and I do like that because I have to have a day. Like I, mm-hmm. I still keep my day job, ranching, mm-hmm. practicing law, um, and uh, and I think that keeps me closer to my constituents. You know, right. uh, so like I, I have to make my living in the same economy that they have to make their living in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I think ultimately, at least I hope, that makes me a better representative because I'm not like on this other, just this completely different world. Sure. And so, and the other thing is, is that unlike Congress, so members of Congress at the federal level do do get paid and, and quite honestly, they have a lot more work to do, bigger country, right. bigger budget, everything like that. Uh, and it's farther away from most places in the country. The Texas legislature also typically only meets for about five months every other year. Mm-hmm. So... It, it is designed to be a part-time legislature, but, you know, in the age of COVID-19 and, mm-hmm. you know, everything else that's going on, like, it, it definitely doesn't feel like a part-time job. It's <laughs> it's supposed to be. Um, it, it is by design. Um, and I like that aspect of it, too, because I spend most of my time in right. West Texas, you know, uh, with the people who mm-hmm. I am there to serve. And so I think it just keeps me a, a little bit, well, I mean, I think it keeps me more connected and more in tune sure. with, mm-hmm. with the communities that I represent. So, yeah. uh, so I think those are the biggest surprises. It's basically a volunteer job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, uh, but how, you know, how it works is it works if everybody is trying to amplify the voices of their constituents of the people that they represent. Now that doesn't mean that it's pretty, Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and that doesn't mean that there is never friction because there's a lot of friction. Mm-hmm. And But I think that's also part of the design. That's the way it's yeah. supposed to work. Like, So it works by not always working in a pretty and clean mm-hmm. way. But let's face it, we have almost 30 million people in this state. Mm-hmm. And we have... And they all have different views. They all have different views. Yeah. And and look, and I... And look, y'all know, like, so I'm a... I'm a Republican, and we live in a – right. y'all grew up in a very Republican part of the state, mm-hmm. and, and I am very proud to represent a very conservative part of the state. Even when we were a Democratic stronghold, it was con- they were conservative Democrats right. um, out in West Texas. And uh, and that's kind of the ethos, and, and that's not unrelated to the predominant oil and gas industry or ranching. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's kind of so, hand-in-hand. It's yeah. kind of hand-in-hand. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a cultural thing uh, to a large extent. But that's not to say that uh, – so – I also represent about 200,000 people between mm-hmm. the, between those four counties. And believe it or not, there's some Democrats in those 200,000 people uh, among, <laughs> yeah, the, among those 200,000. Yeah. And some, some of whom are dear friends of mine, too. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, and so I always have so like I don't have a problem representing my conservative mm-hmm. constituents. I mean, right. it's, it's pretty easy for me to do because that's that's who I am. But I also feel like constituents who don't necessarily share my conservative ideology or viewpoints and even if they are in the minority within our area they still deserve to have a voice too they still Mm -hmm. deserve to be represented and so i try to do that to the greatest extent that i can and even in a few cases where i knew that doing that would be contrary to either principles that i have publicly espoused or that Mm -hmm. you know that other constituents a majority of my constituents are expecting me to hold for them Mm -hmm. 
I will put them in contact with one of my colleagues who I think is more aligned with them on that issue. Because, so even if it's not me, I want to make sure that they have a voice right. mm-hmm. in that Texas Capitol building mm-hmm. uh, because I think that's how it's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and for me, it's never personal. I mean, like, it, it, you, you know, you can't, you can't hate people and be in this business if, yeah. if you're doing mm-hmm. it the right way. And I'm, I suppose we have some examples where that's not, not true. <laughs> Um, you know, in the world, unfortunately, but like, I, I feel like you have to have love in your heart for people, uh, mm-hmm. in order yeah. to do the people's work. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's always like, I've always tried to take the, it's almost like a Hippocratic oath where, you know, don't do any harm to, right. to other people. I mean, you can, you can advance your position. You can fight for your cause without being disrespectful to another person, mm-hmm. uh, you know, regardless of the differences in their, in their views. And thankfully, um, you know, that, that's that's been able to work out pretty well for the most part. And even when, and I'm always up front if I have to say, well, look, I can't carry this bill for you. And, and I'll explain because of this, this, and this. But let me introduce you to Representative So-and-So sure. from Somewhere Houston else. or El Paso. Which is how it should else. work. Right, yeah. right. And, and quite frankly, you know, I mean, I probably don't won't get a vote from that constituent, but they, I think, they at least feel like their voices, or, right. or their voice is being heard, or it's being amplified yeah. in that process. Exactly. And right. you're not lying to them. And yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think that's the thing. And you I just think, have yeah. to be transparent about yeah. it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that that kind of dovetails really nice. It's a beautiful message that dovetails into one of our last questions. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to you to be a Texan? Oh, that's a good question. So I will say this. I think West Texas is like Texas on steroids, right? <laughs> Just like Texas is America oh, yeah. on, yeah, on it steroids. Yeah, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. It's the, Texas, the <laughs> right? Texas that everybody thinks of, but not everyone has ever seen before. Right. Yes. And so kind of gets back to that. West Texas is definitely the romanticized version of Texas in a lot of ways, uh, and you know, because of the Western motif. Like, we From are the, the Western. The to the cowboy hats. 100%. 100%. <laughs> and so, um, you know, so I think when I talk about what Texas, like what it means to be a, a Texan, I, mm-hmm. I guess I'm also talking about what it means to be a West Texan. And I think um, there is a rugged individualism that, that goes along with doing that. And I think that's probably cliche at this point to say that. But I think that if you look at rugged individualism in a, in a broader sense where, you know, you, yes, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you know, which is also cliche. But <laughs> I, I think when you take care of other people that mean a lot to you, whether that's your family, whether that's your friends, whether that's, you know, your neighbors, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's, that absolutely has to be part of the equation. And, you know, we talked about, you know, how does a place like West Texas work? You know, that resiliency, I mean, yeah, we'd like to think that that was just a bunch of individuals doing everything that they could do to make something work. But the truth is, is that it took neighbors Mm -hmm. for that to be able to all work together. I mean, you don't, Mm -hmm. a community, only exists when you have people working in harmony together toward a common goal. Um, you know, and so uh, to me, that's, that's what it means. I mean, look, I mean, look at, at the root of our name. I mean, it's mm-hmm. friendship mm-hmm. where the friendship state It's the old Cato word. Tejas was, it was, was the, was the Cato word for, for friendship, for friends. And, uh, it, and I think that's what has enabled us to build what truly is one of the, Magnif- most magnificent and most diverse uh, nations, and I mean that not. I mean, we are kind of a nation unto ourselves, mm-hmm. um, in that uh, you know we have so many differences across the state in our people mm-hmm. in our communities, 
but we do have this common Texanness absolutely that that binds us all together regardless of what other differences that that there are but we do that by doing what's best for ourselves and best for our families but at the end of the day we're also kind of looking out for each other and Mm -hmm. I think we're making the most of each opportunity that we're given Mm -hmm. whether we deserve it or not Mm -hmm. um and uh, and I think that's that's to me that's what it is it's um it's making the most of of your circumstances but then also uh doing what you can to help others with that opportunity I love that radical resiliency and also radical relationship yeah that's what it means to be Texan. Pulling Brooks. each other up by everybody's bootstraps. Pulling each other up by our own, <laughs> by our own bootstraps. Using your bootstrap <laughs> to pull someone else. Someone else is up. I think we got it. Yeah, we're there. Awesome. Well, Brooks. Well, we, that was a lot. That was a lot. Yeah, that's a lot going on that. there. Some Aggie ingenuity yeah, going on there. Brooks, we could talk to you all day. We know really that you good. have far more important things to do and people to advocate for at the Capitol. So we're going to let you go. Thank you so much for your time for sharing your story with us and for letting us know what it means to be Texan to you. And thank you for the service to our home area that you do day in and day out. We really appreciate it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to do it. It, it really is. A, it's a blessing and an honor. And, uh, and I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be able to do it. But Gunner, Seth, y'all are doing a great job. Uh, it was a real thrill to be able to be with y'all today. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Brooks. Thank you, guys. We'll talk to y'all soon. Bye, y'all. All right, Brooks, once again, thank you so much for giving us your time. Such a great interview. We enjoy talking with you. And, yeah, if you've listened up to this point, don't forget, go give us a follow on Instagram, text-ish underscore pod. Leave us a review, negative or positive. We'll read the best ones out loud. Apple Podcasts. Give us those star ratings. Five stars if you mean it. One star if you mean it. Three stars. Don't be neutral. I'm not as nice. Five stars no matter what. I, you know, I'll take one star. I'm, dude, we're on a good roll. We've got like eight five-star reviews on Apple. I'm very happy about that. That is double what most podcasts have. So yes. I'm going to hang my hat on that. <laughs> and yeah, go give us the follow on Spotify. Yeah. Download, listen, share. Please. Screenshot, share via Instagram. Share with us how we can make this better for you guys. Exactly. And also don't forget, if you see a certain somebody. Shout it out. Rolling around town. Slide into our DMs. Let us know what you saw him do. You you were saying before we pressed record, you saw yeah, him, right? I, uh, I saw him. I did. It was it was a surprise. What I should have known going in. I should have known. I should have seen the signs. So this is going back a, a couple weeks. It's been a minute since we sat down and talked. And you know that I go to Los Angeles every now and again to film things, and I come back, and you know we do our thing. Yeah. So I'm taking the red eye back home, and I'm flying from Los Angeles to Austin. LAX or Burbank? LAX. Okay. Because I had to. Burbank is always preferable. If anybody is listening, go through Burbank if you can. Much easier on everybody. But I'm, I'm flying home, and it's, you know, it's late. Most most people are asleep. Um, really quiet, like clear skies. It's a beautiful night. I can't sleep for whatever reason. You know, hmm. I don't sleep while on planes. And the stewardess, I don't know, where just kind of like comes back, and she taps me on the shoulder and says, excuse me, um, the captain actually wants to talk to you. And I was like, um, okay, am, am I in trouble? Like, did I do something? She said, no, 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 it's, it's going to be okay. Just like, just follow me. I can't talk, just follow me. I'm like, all right, so I get up, just, all right, quiet. Walk up, and uh, she knocks on the door and says, just wait, he'll open the door whenever you're ready. And I'm looking around, and I'm, I'm so confused. I'm a little, like, I'm tired. I've been traveling all day, and I'm You've I just been working the home. whole week. I'm working the whole week. I'm exhausted. 
and I should have known because to my left, where the where the you know uh, where the stewardesses sit, while while the plane's going, I see uh, I see a, a yellow cloth hung up. I just see like a little bit of yellow just cloth, just a hint of just yellow, a hint in of the yellow. Periphery. And as soon as I clock it, the door opens, and a, and a hand reaches back and waves me up. <laughs> so I walk in, and I'm like, "Is it? Hey, what's going on? Is everything okay?" And it's just it's just one pilot. I the co-pilot must be in the bathroom or something. Just one pilot, and he points i can't see him he points at the seat and just like sit down I'm, I'm freaking out at this point i'm so scared i'm afraid that i'm gonna be arrested and like shot by the air marshal i don't know what's going on so i sit down i'm sweating and i look over and i see that silver hair and that lean face and he looks over he's just flying the planes nice and calm he's like keep doing what you're doing and he points and in the distance, I can see just perfect, this perfect silver round orb. He points at it, looks at me, looks at it, and says, one day, one day I'm going to get it. <laughs> and then what happened? <laughs> That, that's it. That's, that's all I remember. It. He I blacked just pointed, out. Blacked he just out pointed. After that, after that, I mean, I was, I was like in a daze. I walked back to my seat. <laughs> I grabbed as many bottles of booze as I could on the way back. I just had to process. I just the had whole to process the whole thing. I was like, was it Lance? Was it not? Was, it was what? definitely was Lance. I asleep. I've seen him enough times to right? know that some stuff Lance would do. Right. He's, oh, he's just after that that silver orb, after man. That silver he's going to get it however he can. Every spherical object, he just pounces. I did. I did see him at baggage check grabbing the bike and riding off. Once we got to Austin Bergstrom, of course, with the yellow jersey on. Yeah, uh, then he's not so subtle. So we once keep he's seeing in Austin, him. Yeah, once we he's keep in seeing Austin, him. We keep seeing him. If you see Lance Armstrong rolling around, being a little troll, you know, trying to, to do. relive his memories of two balls. Send us your Lance sightings. Two balls, one bike. Two balls, one Lance. Send us your Free Lance, Lance sightings. Freelance. Tour de Lance forever. Hashtag Tour de Lance forever and always. If you see him, let us know. If you see us, tell us if you like the podcast. Tell us if you hate the podcast. If you see us on Instagram, at textish underscore pod. Give us a follow. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, thank you so, so much for listening. And thank you one more time to Brooks Landgraf. Bye, y'all. Bye.